You're listening to Milwaukee Mafia, your podcast dose of Wisconsin Mafia and true crime history. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Milwaukee Mafia podcast. I'm Eric. I'm Gavin. And we're back with another episode. Yes. How's it going today, Gavin? Well, I'm I'm coming off of a sinus infection, so I might sound a little funny uh, on this recording, but otherwise I feel great. And it looks like you got a newspaper article in front of you, huh? I do. So is that for the Milwaukee Mafia podcast? It or is. is. This for our, our next episode. Nope. This is this is what I've got today. So what are we talking about? All right. So uh, for those who were listening last time, we ended with saying we didn't know what the next one was going to be. Uh, coming up is Dominic Frenzy running for governor. Um, that I think is going to be two episodes out yet. I think the next episode is going to be about a hidden microphone planted on Downer Avenue in Milwaukee. So I've been kind of working on what's coming up. I think I know what we've got. But bumping those. <laughs> something, is this, so is this something in current news, I'm guessing, this that is, we're this covering is, this today? This is fresh. This is fresh, all right. This is it's, fresh. Is this more Jimmy Hoffa stuff? Or? No. No? Okay. Okay, so I don't know if it was talked about on here. It's definitely been talked about on the Patreon Journal Sentinel reporter Mary Spacuza had been working for over a year on investigating her cousin's bombing in 1978. Correct. Um, probably, probably two years. And I believe we have talked about a little bit about this on this podcast. Okay. Well, finally, 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 after all this time, it went online Last week, as we're recording this, it might be like a month ago when they hear this, but like last week <laughs> when we recorded, and and two days ago, the print version came out, and it's this nice thing that nobody can see that I'm holding here, but you can hear it ruffle. It's a full, hold. it's a full insert. It's seven full pages. Wow, it's huge. This this uh this reporter obviously has some street cred, huh? If she can get that kind of yeah. <laughs> placement a, in the news. It's a massive insert and there's like it's not even ads in the insert. And and on the cover of the front page it says feature story see inside. So like everybody who gets the paper um you cannot possibly miss this. Mm-hmm. So anyway, um I kind of wanted to talk about like what's in here a little bit. Because it's 1978, we're not going to get to that on the timeline for a while. So, if you're not familiar with the story, the super brief, like, mega, mega, mega brief version of it is there's a man named August Pomazana. goes by Augie. And he's part-time. He works at his family's produce stand. Part-time, he runs a bar. He's also a gambler slash bookie, uh, which is the part that gets him in trouble. Mm-hmm. As, like it does. It like always it, does. Like, <laughs> it, like it does. And there's there's always been debate about what specifically was the thing that he did wrong. But regardless of what it is that he did wrong, a bomb was placed in his car. He went out to start his car. At nine o'clock in the morning, turned it on, and it was what they called an overkill bomb. Okay. 
Because it didn't just blow up his car, it also damaged 20-some other cars in the vicinity. (laughs) Um, Andy was in an underground parking garage of his apartment complex, so it shook the apartment complex, knocked it off the foundation a little bit. It was very serious. And and as I as I had told Mary, like I consider this the absolute worst worst murder in Milwaukee Mafia history. Um, because again, I always have to be clear: not that any murder is a good murder, <laughs> um, but this one to me is particularly bad because when you don't like, if you go up and shoot somebody, if you know what you're doing. You're just going to shoot the guy, mm-hmm. you know, again, not that it's okay, but it's at least specifically targeted here. You don't know. You have no clue who's going to be in that underground garage when he turns his car on. And that to me is highly disturbing. And not to mention that, like, like you said, this bomb was way more excessive than what they needed to use to, to accomplish their goal. Because yeah. I would say if this is knocking the building off of its foundation. Just a little bit. The building still stands, but it did it did mess with it. Yeah, yeah and that's that's way overkill. <laughs> like that's way more than you need to be doing. Yeah. And luckily, I don't know how, but luckily no one else got hurt. Nobody else was in the garage at the time. But that I mean you can imagine whatever you want to imagine. What kind of a person bothers you the most being in that garage? And they could have been. Mm-hmm. So that's that is just the absolute worst to me. Uh, so anyway, so she got this seven page uh, insert, and she kind of it's sort of told in a first person storytelling way of saying how she grew up, and she is younger. She refers to him as her cousin. It's actually her dad's cousin. Mm-hmm. So when he died, she was only four years old. Mm-hmm. But she grew up always kind of hearing, you know, don't do this, don't do that, because this is what happened to your cousin. <laughs> um, so it had always been in the back of her mind. And now that she's been an investigative reporter for however long, um, she decided to actually use that as a as a topic, and I'm so glad she did uh, because she did really good work. She was able to get not just things that I've seen, like obviously the newspaper records, which she all she has to do is go to the basement of the of the newspaper place to pull out <laughs> them out of the morgue. Um, you know, in the FBI files, she also was able to get the police file released. She contacted. And this is this is forty five years ago, but she was still able to find FBI agents, prosecutors, et cetera, that are still around that remember this and that remember are. this, and it, particularly one prosecutor, a man named John Frankie, and uh, she got a hold of him, and he had banker boxes of of court records, you know, transcripts, everything else, like in his house. And apparently he had moved three times in 45 years, but he kept bringing the boxes <laughs> with him. So, like, he hadn't opened those boxes. It's just one of those things, like, when you move, you're like, I guess i got to move these boxes again. <laughs> so it's pretty great that he still had them because he could have pulped those a long time ago. But um, that was, a, I thought, a huge find. The good thing about uh, 
the fact that Americans never throw anything away, man. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so I kind of wanted to like, like I said, we can go into more detail in that when we get to it on the timeline, but I kind of want to throw out some things that I thought were really great about this reporting. And even though the print edition was only available that one day, you can find it online. I mean, if you search for Augie Pomizano or Mary Spacuza or anything like that, you should find it. It is online. And in fact, there's even more content online than there is in this seven-page thing, um, including an exclusive interview with yours truly. Yes. Yeah. Zon- Zon- <laughs> I, I was going to – I was like, you, you've you been talking about this for a while, and I've – I obviously know that you had a part in making this, but uh, yeah, but you never really said that. And I'm like, is he gonna? Is it? Is he building up to the fact that he's part of this? Or? Well, I don't really. I don't appear in the news article. That's the thing. So, like, I'm on the website part, but I don't appear in the news article, and which is fine because when you've got FBI agents and prosecutors and everything else interviewed, like, I don't really have a purpose because <laughs> all I'm going to do is repeat the stuff that I've read from what they've done. Mm. So. Yeah, that's fine. But yes, I was I was somewhat involved. Okay. Uh, one thing I like from the police record, she knows the last people that he spoke to before, before the bomb. A lady that he talked to that very same morning while she was doing her laundry. A man that he talked to while he was having breakfast. Because apparently after he shuts his bar down at night, because he has to go to the produce stand early in the morning. His sleep schedule was really weird, mm-hmm. and so he would immediately go to like an all-night breakfast place and eat his breakfast after bar close, and just kind of wait until four in the morning to get the produce in. So that they were able to, you know, talk to that guy. So like, I, because I haven't seen the police record, so this is new to me. And I was like, okay, so now they've got him on record. They've got. Uh, one of his close friends, a man named Sam Denton, who I've never heard that name before. And that, to me, was a big deal. Having a brand new name mm-hmm. um, was a really close friend of his. And apparently, um, they got a lot of secondhand information out of him about how leading up to the bombing, how he would kind of talk about how things weren't going well. Not in Not too long prior to this bombing, there was an attempted bombing of his best friend, a man named Vince Maniacci. And that bomb didn't go off. Vince fled to Hawaii. He came back from Hawaii and was supposed to be picked up at the airport by Augie. But apparently Augie went to the airport, couldn't find Vince, and then later found out that somebody threatened Vince at the airport... So Vince got right back on the plane and went to Hawaii again. <laughs> so like so he knew that there were people who didn't like him and his friend very much. Mm-hmm. Like this wasn't a complete surprise to him. Yeah, so there's uh she's talking about like growing up, like she'd hear, you know, don't end up like Augie, oh, don't mix with the wrong crowd, but nobody would ever actually tell her what happened. Mm-hmm. She always had to hear it in a roundabout way. Which is something I've heard from many, many people. Like, that's not unusual. I get all the time, I get emails from people being like, my parents never told me about my grandparents and mm-hmm. blah, blah. So that's a, a pretty common theme. So to hear that it happened to her, too, I'm not surprised. There's background on uh, him as a person, like where he went to school and such. 
That's pretty good. There's a good section on here and how he was friends with, there was rumors of romance, but apparently just friends with uh, a, a dancer named the Satin Doll, who used to be a dancer for Duke Ellington back in the jazz days. And I had kind of known a little about that. That wasn't completely new to me, but apparently she was very talkative with the police. So a good chunk of the police record is is Satin Doll just spo- <laughs> just spouting off um, and being very direct that she has no doubt in her mind who put the bomb in the car. Mm-hmm. And and they still this is an unsolved case. They don't know who did it. You know to this day. There's a general agreement of of who ordered the bombing and who planted the bomb, but there's not enough evidence to actually prove it. Mm-hmm. And everybody's dead now anyway. <laughs> but so hopefully what comes out of this is that people will offer more information to Mary that was not available at the time because maybe people were afraid to talk to police. Or maybe police didn't talk to the right person, whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm pretty excited to see what, what could come out of this. Yeah, they talked to uh, a former employee uh, of Augie's and, you know, talked about what would go on at the bar. And uh, it seems like, generally speaking, he uh, Augie was a really well-liked guy. But it's kind of funny, the former employee who didn't, want his name on record he's got the quote that says i got a harvard education working at pommies the tavern i really got a harvard education in the hustle game <laughs> i thought i like that and i and i don't think that he necessarily means hustling like in a bad way i think he just means like you know constantly doing things mm-hmm. but it's a it's a great quote uh mary spoke with uh joe pistone the undercover agent uh, who was in Milwaukee. I don't feel that he really added a lot that hasn't already been known. Um, he did write his own book, so didn't really add a lot from that. But it was pretty neat that she was able to get him on the record. Mm-hmm. Oddly, she wasn't able to get Augie's kids. They they declined to talk with her. and Which is strange because she would have a relationship with the her kid, his kids in theory, right? Yeah. Now, and I don't know if she knew them ahead of time or not. I'm not really sure. But it is odd that they didn't want to go on record because this is, you know, presumably in their benefit to get these answers. Uh, I don't blame them. I mean, I imagine this is obviously a very traumatic event and... You know, if that's something that they're not comfortable talking about, they're not comfortable talking about. So, like, I'm not blaming them, but it it is definitely unfortunate that that they couldn't uh, add to this because and his Ari's there probably kids. aren't many people that are that would know him better. Are his kids would have been with the Duke Ellington the singer or <laughs> no, 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 no? Okay, no, no. He had a he had a wife and a family. Okay, um, yeah. There's it's. This is a part I'm not sure about because the the Duke Ellington person happens to be black. And I know from FBI records that there were always rumors among 
mob guys and just the Italian community in general that didn't like Augie because Augie had a black girlfriend. <laughs> but it, I can't tell you 100% that the black girlfriend they're referring to is the Saddened doll. doll. Okay. Because in the record that I see, like, her name's blanked out. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that's the same reference. Or if he's hanging out with Sandal and through her, you know, or maybe not even through her, but you know, meets some other girl. Okay. I don't know. Okay. And and maybe people were mistaken. Maybe they just thought you know them hanging out and and having a good time that they were dating and they weren't. Mm-hmm. I don't know. You know, it's, it's it's a lot of speculation when you're dealing with people just passing rumors on to law enforcement because. Law enforcement just writes down what people tell them. It's not always necessarily accurate. Right. I don't know. I mean, that's probably about the bulk of it. But I just absolutely, I love that this uh, came out in this this really grand way. And it it should reach a whole new audience because of it. Because this story hasn't been news in over 40 years. Mm-hmm. So there should be a whole bunch of people that have still never heard this story, and that'd be a big deal. Um, get it back into the conversation for people that did know it. But yeah, see where things go because as great as this article is, as massive as this article is, I know what she's collected, and this is probably not one percent of what she's collected. So mm-hmm. I'm really looking forward to seeing. What happens if this becomes like periodic newspaper updates or there was talk for a while of turning it into a podcast? I'd love to see that. I don't know exactly what's going to come out of this, but I don't think this is the end. I don't think this is a one-off situation here. Mm -hmm. So be curious to see what comes out of this reporting and how people respond to it. And so you're familiar with enough with this story. Yeah. I mean, is this story something that could go on, live on as a podcast? I mean, it's, I mean, I guess what would be the approach of the podcast? Because it's just, it's, does she feel like, do you feel like there's just so much information out there that it's once this article comes, it's it's just going to come start flowing in and they can just keep going on the new information they find or? No. Um, no, I don't think it could be like an ongoing podcast. But if it was set up as like a six or eight oh, part okay. miniseries I podcast. I get you. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, because she's got enough people um, recorded. I don't know how many of the people she interviewed she recorded, but I know that a good number of them were. But she's already got some material there, you know, plus all the paper material she has. So there's no reason this couldn't be done in multiple parts. Uh, just like the bombing itself, I think could fit into one episode, but describing the whole background of the situation, mm-hmm. I think would take a few. Mm-hmm. And anybody who's listened to like a true to true crime podcast, like the miniseries kind of podcast, mm-hmm. I mean, you can make like five ten episodes out of a very small thing yeah just by talking to people and getting some great stories out of it mm-hmm. so um this is definitely something like that this to me i mean is a it's a huge deal and you can get some really good stories out of it so and uh, so we'll, we'll see i don't know what's gonna happen it's it's not my project you you alluded to 
<clears throat> in previous podcasts that that there's a period in time where the, where the Milwaukee Mafia goes big into car bombings. It's a big thing, right? There's several. They're doing it. There's there's a handful of car bombings for a while. Yeah. 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 So is this kind of the car bombing that kicks it off, or is this just the most notable one because of the nature of it and and the excess of which they you know they almost took, could have taken down a building with it. <clears throat> well. So there's there's the attempted one prior to this. I'm not sure when the one in Las Vegas that's linked to Milwaukee happened, if that was before or after this. I feel like it's after, but I'm not sure. Um, but this one was huge. Like, So I'll read this. This is the quote from Prosecutor John Frankie. It's right, it's right on the top of the article. Mm-hmm. That was a pretty dramatic moment in terms of creating the sense in the community that maybe there is organized crime here. And maybe it's something that we should actually worry about. Because it's not just, you know, gangsters gunning down gangsters. It's people doing things that could kill innocent people easily. I like that when she quotes them, she leaves them the you knows and stuff. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, that's the thing. I mean... As we've talked about on this podcast many times, like Frank Balistrieri had made newspaper headlines for a long, long time. So it's not like people didn't know. Mm-hmm. But this is definitely like the murder that caught Milwaukee's attention. attention. Because, yeah, prior to this, like guys shot in an alley, guys shot thrown in a ditch. And again, not that that's ever okay, but. A lot of these times it was people who you're like, yeah, they were involved in some shady stuff. Like, mm-hmm. that's a risky run. Not that that's okay. Augie, I mean, the worst thing he was involved in, as far as we know, is gambling, which is enough to get you killed. But they killed him in such a way where it put everybody else on alert. Mm-hmm. Because it wasn't, again, it wasn't just a shot in the head. It was... <clears throat> Who knows what's going to happen? Yeah, and the potential of innocent bystanders <clears throat> getting killed in this situation is very high because of the nature of the bomb, right? Like, yeah, it's hard to control what a bomb does. Yeah, there was another. I don't even want to go down this route because it's so completely unrelated. But there was another incident where a bomb was left sitting on top of a car, not a car bomb, but the car had a bomb sitting on top in a box. And the person who was supposed to pick up the box didn't get there when they thought that they would. And instead, a 14-year-old paper boy saw it and was curious. Oh, no. And Yeah. And the, and the, the boy got blown up. So, like, that's, that's exactly why bombs are not something you want to do um, unless you just don't care. And I'm curious in... This is probably something you don't really have an answer to, but but like you said, there was a string of these types of bombings out at a, at some point in time. I'm assuming quite a ways down our timeline from where we are right now. It'll be a little while down yet, yeah. But what, I mean, as you've discussed, a bomb is not a good way to kill a person because it's so unpredictable and stuff like that. Why do you think the mafia took that approach? Well, um, what is this? Because you like, I mean, 
a thought that goes into my head is is that you've always said that it seemed like Frank liked to, you know, really kind of be out there and have the attention. Was this an attention grabbing thing? Yeah, I mean that's that's what the people quoted in the story say, and I and I absolutely agree with them with their reasoning. It, it's sending a message. It's sending a message. It's sending a message because if if a guy gets shot and killed, you know, he might make the front page. Mm-hmm. But in a major city, sometimes not even a murder makes the front page. And if it does make the front page, it's probably for a day. Unless yeah. it's for some reason some very high profile thing like he was blown up by a bomb. Yeah. But you know? when yeah, when someone gets blown up by a bomb, people pay attention to that. They people see it and and yeah, so um Augie's blown up, Vince was almost blown up, the guy in Vegas was blown up. There was another there was a reporter in Vegas who was originally from Milwaukee. He got his car got blown up. He ended up surviving, but his car got blown up. Um, so this this was a running thing for a while, and not it wasn't strictly a Milwaukee thing that happened in Cleveland too. But there was a time period, um, particularly in the seventies, where apparently car bombs were just the thing, mm-hmm. and it and it got it got headlines, it got attention, <laughs> and if you wanted people to know that you shouldn't uh, you shouldn't mess with the mob. Car bomb's a pretty effective way of telling them that because you don't I, – I mean, if the car bomb works, it's probably a better way to go than some ways you could go. Mm-hmm. But if the car bomb doesn't work, that is not a situation you want to be in. Right. right. I mean, if you come out of that with missing legs and third-degree burns for the rest of your life – that's worse than death. So uh, you do, do not want to be the target of a car bomb. And obviously, again, keep going to pound this point home. It's not great because of all what could happen to go wrong on mm. top of the fact that it's not okay to kill people. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it is. It's And it's funny because you made the comment that it seemed like car bombs were a thing at one point in time that was just the thing you did. It's yeah. just like so weird that we had a point in society where it was like, well, if you wanted to kill somebody, the in way to do it right now was the car bomb. Yeah. You know? No, and it's but it's true because if you look prior to that time, like it's very, very rare. And, and since that time, very, very rare. And I couldn't give you an answer at this moment of why that was. But it would be fascinating to look in like what car bombing triggered the boom in car bombing yeah you know, like, yeah because i'm sure that there was some very it's a, high... it's a great pun there well yeah. done <laughs> well done i'm sure there was some high profile car bombing that got a uh, tons of press that just created copycats that all could over be the place that could be and i this is pure speculation i do not know this and i definitely don't know anything about cars mm-hmm. um but i'm also wondering if maybe there was something in the 70s where the design of a car made, made car it. bombs just like a better option than they were before or since. Yeah, because maybe they changed something. Because generally, I think with a car bomb, they do it off the ignition. Like the ignition ignites the bomb. And right. maybe they made a change to the ignitions that that was possible to do before. Or they made adjustments to the bomb so they could use an igni- ignition of a car to ignite a bomb. Yeah, I don't so, know. Yeah, that's really know. an interesting 
thought process. I've never really studied car bombs, but <laughs> but don't worry. But if I you will, are, yeah, and or <laughs> when we if get you, there, I will. If we do have somebody out there that's an an expert com- car bomb researcher, because we know you exist out there. Well, they have to. Well, yeah, let us know because we would love to have you on, and you could tell us all about this stuff. I don't know. Maybe we've got an ATF agent out there who's a fan yep. who finally is like, "This is my moment." Yep. <laughs> yeah. The Milwaukee Mafia podcast will change my life, and I, hey, maybe <laughs> it. I think the ATF is a fascinating. We always, at least I always, I shouldn't say we. I always talk about FBI, FBI, FBI. Don't give a lot of credit to the ATF. I mean, sometimes. So they do some pretty crazy stuff too, because there's, you know, the explosives part of what they do. Um, so, yeah, but yeah. I, I would just imagine your focus is more FBI because they're more about data collecting. Is yeah, that probably. Yeah, it's definitely biased in favor of of where the data is. Is why I, yeah, why I run across them more. All right. Well, that is the story of. And just for one more follow up, just tell everybody where can they find this? It looks like Journal Sentinel. Yeah, this is the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. Um, again, if you go to your Google box or your Bing or whatever it is you use and you type in uh, Mary Spicuza, which is S-P-I-C-U-Z-Z-A, or Augie Pamizano, which is P-A-L-M-I-S-A-N-O, or, I mean, any anything really, even probably Frank Balistrieri, and you search recent news, it'll probably come up. Mm. Like so, uh, it, it shouldn't be hard to find by any means. So, and I just thought of one more question that I want to ask you about this article. Yes. So, and actually, I forgot to mention something as well. But go ahead. Well, my question is: is that is this probably the most notable journalistic thing you've been a part of doing? Would you say like like because oh. Mary Spacuzzi or I I'm not even going to try and say her name but she's a pretty big deal for the Journal Sentinel right I um, think she, I think she is she was she was nominated for the Pulitzer Prize for some of her reporting so I think she's a pretty big deal yes so so is this would you consider this to be like the most high profile project that you've been a part of that that you've done so far in general or with or with newspapers in general. Possibly. Okay. Possibly, yeah. So, in a, it's just. I'd really have to think about that, but it's certainly possible, yes. The reason I ask that is because it seems like you were kind of impressed with the amount of information that, that, uh, that she was able to obtain. I was. And uh, I'm just curious. I am, yeah. Because you're kind of a lone gunman in the research world. Yeah. Did this kind of open up your eyes to, like, okay, if I had somebody like the Journal Sentinel behind me, like how much more data I could get my hands on to <laughs> to do what I do, or did I don't do you know really if not- I thought about it like that, but no, but that's absolutely true because, like, um, I I have done that like one time, um, I got a hold of Tom Schneider who was a prosecutor in the eighties, and he was very kind. I mean, he he gave me a, a phone interview. I mean, it was 20 minutes, half hour. He was very kind about it. Uh, and his memory was super sharp. But generally speaking, I don't reach out because I'm like, well, like, who am I, you know? <laughs> but, but yeah, I think there's definitely something to that where if you say, I'm Mary Spacuza of Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, 
even if they don't know who Mary is, they're like, oh, yeah, the Wall Street Journal Sentinel, the biggest paper in the state. Yeah, so that is, and that's <clears> just interesting. And I'm just curious, did you learn anything? Do you think you took anything away? Like, like she had said, for, oh, for, I, for I, researching. Yeah, like, yes. you know, <clears throat> like she contacted somebody, and you're like, man, I would have never even thought about um, reaching out to a person like that. Not necessarily in that sense, but. Um, now I know that John Frankie's got all these bo- banker boxes, so that I'd love to see those. I've never met him, um, but I'd love to. But the the big takeaway I had um, was I had been under the impression, and I don't know why. Maybe this was something that I told myself and wasn't something I was actually told. But I was under the impression that the Milwaukee Police Department didn't release unsolved murder files until they were 50 years old that was my impression and i didn't request them until they were 50 years old and i've done speaking engagements where i've told people that the records didn't go public till they're 50 years old and now apparently i, I must have been <laughs> not accurate i was i was telling the i don't want to say lie because it wasn't i wasn't doing it willingly um but but have but, you so, but I was like, oh, you know, in, in 2022, I'll finally be able to get the Louis Fazio file because it would be 50 years old. Well, Mary goes in and she's like, all right, I want uh, I want this file, this file, this file. And they're like, no problem. And it's like, like the this one in particular, I mean, under my math, wouldn't have been public <laughs> until 2028. So uh, apparently my math is wrong. So, but so, no, but so I haven't gone out and requested them myself. But that's something that I now know I can do when I'm ready to reach that point of the timeline. I, I'm curious to see though is 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 that the 50 year rule pertain to Gavin? But it I don't say, know if she the, if she had special influence because of who she is. But I don't think so. You don't think so? You I think? don't think so because. Uh, she's got no obligation to keep that private. So I don't think that she, she might've been able to bend it because they know who the journal Sentinel people are Mm -hmm. because they're making requests all the time. So she might've had a little more pull there, but, but I mean, I I don't know. I don't, there's still gotta be some rules in place because once she's got it, she could post the whole thing online if she wanted to, and there's nothing they could do about it. So, right. And I just kind of feel like in this scenario, it's one of these things where um, it could be that they look and they say Gavin Schmidt is requesting this record, and they're like, "Who the hell's Gavin Schmidt? Yeah, why yeah, do we, yeah. Why do we care? No, tell him that that the record has to be fifty years old before he can request. Yeah. It. Whereas, whereas then Mary comes in and says, "I'm with the Journal Sentinel. I need this record with this record." They're like, "Oh yeah, totally. Are you are you writing an article about it? Or you know, be, yeah. but but just being that." They don't know why Gavin Schmidt is using this stuff, so yeah. they they just have different rules for. It's possible <laughs> different people. I really don't recall where I picked it up from, but I I had convinced myself that that was what the rule was. So. Yeah, and that's really funny if you just kind of <laughs> created part- that rule in your head, like you you request it. Th- I feel like somebody must have told me that, but maybe not. But I was. I was holding firm to it, and I specifically was waiting to request a file. 
So I was like, all right. I'm well, like, I'm like, well, I guess I'll get to this in another two years. Like, I would have just gotten it. Sounds to me like you have a lot of records to request coming up here. That <laughs> so if just I do, I do. I was kind of hoping I could get free copies from somebody who already has them. But <laughs> but but yes. But otherwise, yeah. I now know that I can most likely request them and get them. Cool. All right. Well, do you got anything else with this episode? No. I I was gonna I was gonna mention like who they suspected the bombing, but it doesn't really matter. Right. We'll, we'll we'll talk about that when we get there. There. Very cool. All right. Well, that's exciting current news that you can find at the on the Milwaukee, yeah. Milwaukee Journal Sentinel again. So check that out. And we will be back next week, back on our normal timeline. Yes. And then into, or I should say next week with the Patreon, and then two weeks we'll be back on the normal timeline with a regular Mafia episode. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We'll see you on the next episode. Thanks for tuning in to the Milwaukee Mafia podcast. Join us next time for another look back at Wisconsin Mafia and true crime history. <laughs>